Good afternoon. My name is Robert Elliott, and I serve as the senior pastor teacher here at Calvary Bible Church. And I express my sincere Christian condolences to Alice and her family at this tender time. I express those condolences on behalf of my wife, Beth, and on behalf of the entire credible body of Christ that we call Calvary Bible Church. Carlisle is the reason that we are all here, but Carlisle is not here. You and I are here to look around and within and up for God's perspective, truth, meaning, and comfort as they are found in his holy word. Every human being is made in the image of God. God is three and yet one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of us is three and yet one. We are spirit, soul, and body. God has made us to be spirit that we might be able to relate to him. God has made us to be soul to allow us to relate to other persons. And God has given us our body to allow us to relate to our environments through our senses. When Carlisle died, his soul and spirit were dismissed from his body that had fought hard. They were not dismissed to stop existing. They were not dismissed to aimlessly float around somewhere. And so I say it again, that Carlisle is the reason that we're all here, but he's not here. Instead, we are here to look around within and up with the searchlight of the Holy Scriptures for God's perspective, truth, and meaning and hope. And together now, let's ask our great God for his help for us in this worthwhile investigation of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, funerals close the eyes of the dead and open the eyes of the living. Father, help us to take that reality to heart this afternoon. We ask you for your help now to know your ways better. We want to know about heaven, and we need to know about how to get there. Father, we're grateful that you have fully revealed yourself to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have shown us everything you want for us to know about yourself in your dependable and inspired Bible. Lord, we thank you that you've said in your word that it's better to go to a house of mourning, that's a funeral home, than to go to a house of feasting, that's a banquet hall, because that, that is dying, is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. Today, Lord, this afternoon, we as believers in Christ unite to be comforted by the fact that we were not left as orphans when the risen Christ went back to heaven. And we are blessed this afternoon that you sent to us the Holy Spirit. We know that it is the Holy Spirit's primary job to magnify the greatness and sufficiencies of Jesus Christ. Father, we are banking in these moments on the Holy Spirit to elevate Jesus Christ to his rightful first place in everything. For this positioning of Jesus will truly bring comfort to us all. Almighty God, it is our prayer that we all may trust in you with all of our hearts, that we all may not lean on our own understandings. Instead, that we would all acknowledge you in all of our ways so that you, Lord God, would direct all of our paths. God, you've told us in your word, both the Old and the New Testament, that as we do trust in you, 
you will direct our paths to your beloved Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only provided Savior for a world of rebels like all of us. Thank you, Lord God, that you assure us in your word that to know Christ as our own Savior by faith is to possess eternal life. May no one leave this sanctuary today without Jesus Christ going it on their own, living only for the here and now. Father, we pray these things, fully knowing that you are more than able and completely trusting you for the answers and our necessary hope. And we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's strong and living name. Amen. Pastor Roland Bryan comes now to share precious verses from God's Bible. Thank you very much. On behalf of my wife, Peggy, I'd like to extend condolences to Alice and her family during this time of sadness because a loved one has been removed. But we know because of Carlisle faith in Jesus Christ. He's better off right now than you and me this afternoon. The passage of scripture that has been selected is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since by man came death, by man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those that are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he put and end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And now we go over to verse 51. 
perfect. Then, but the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And knowing Brother Carlisle, I can just imagine he would say to me at this time, Pastor Brian, read that last verse again. And I shall do just that. Listen as God speaks from his word. Therefore, God says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is the word of God. I was made to understand that Pastor Car- Brother Carlisle, that is, he had chosen those very scriptures, those words to be shared, to be read at today's service. Truly, we give God thanks for his word. We give God thanks for the legacy and testimony of such a man whose faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we now invite everybody beside the immediate family, if you would please stand as we sing and bless the name of our holy God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.
to think that marvelously holy God came all the way to us in his holy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were not holy, and yet Jesus came to us in love and obedience and laid down his life, a ransom for many. Praise the Lord. Our eulogy this afternoon, it comes from Jerome Cartwright, who is a friend of the family. Members of the clergy, family, friends, and acquaintances. To be honest with you, I don't know Carlisle's age. When he was caught in Alice, his birth year was 1939. On other occasions, for the most, it was 1940. And that discrepancy was never resolved. When he was 10 years old, he attended a religious campaign at Victoria Avenue. After the meeting, he told his father, Sammy, that he wanted to become a Christian. His father opened his worn-down Bible and read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then they prayed. It's easy to become a Christian, and it's free. He attended Queen's College, where he excelled in academics and was crowned head boy. At some point, his grades began to slip, and the headmaster threatened to disallow him from writing the Cambridge senior examination. Carlyle, who could sell salvation to the devil at times, convinced the headmaster that he would make the necessary effort to pass the examination. And he did. After graduation, he went to work, but some years later returned to school to read for his MBA. It's not easy to study and work at any educational level, especially at the graduate level. But armed with ambition, perseverance, and enthusiasm, He succeeded. Nothing in this world trumps enthusiasm. Carlyle was strong-willed, highly opinionated, sports-oriented, competitive, smart, well-read, a forward thinker. He was also very welcoming. His house was an open house, protective, loving, and affectionate. He wasn't perfect, 
no one else, and he wasn't easy at times. Carlisle met Alice at Central Gospel Chapel, and I reckon they were altar-bound from the beginning. And so it was that Alice, a brown-haired beauty, and Carlisle, a handsome hunk with a shock of black hair, came to love each other in the youth of their lives. They were married, and their love grew, blossomed and flowered, always stretching like elastic to create space for the growth and freedom of each other. They were blessed with two children, Kevin and Christopher. Carlisle and Alice educated them, instilled in them those universal principles that govern sterling character, a good work ethic, and community service. They made sure they attended church and respected nature. Carlisle was a loving, devoted, strict father. There were times when Alice referred the boys to him for discipline, and this was usually after work. If it was Kevin, Carlisle said, Kevin, go and bring me the white belt. Now, corporal punishment is very debatable, and Kevin has this to say about it, quote, I thank God for that white belt, because I might not be the man I am today without being strapped with it, unquote. And his story is a very successful one, managing over 200 people in the tourist industry, the engine that drives our Bahamian economy. He warned them not to get into situations they could not get out. And he told them, always have a plan B. Carlisle was very proud of Kevin, and so is Alice. They have done their job as parents. Congrats. Carlisle and Alice was visited with tragedy, sorrow, heartbreak, despair, and disappointment. They weathered those unmerciful storms, anchored as one in the foundation of their faith. The bond between them grew stronger, and they came to know each other more deeply and appreciate each other more. Early on, Alice was sick to bed for a few prolonged periods of time. When she couldn't walk, Carlisle gave her legs. When she couldn't do for herself, he gave her hands. And when she couldn't cook, he fed her. More recently, when Carlisle was ailing, Alice reciprocated the care. And despite the stress, the mental anguish, and the spent energy, they tended each other 
with tenderness, patience, and love. Love is such a beautiful thing. During vacations, Carlisle and his family traveled the world. Those trips exposed them to more of God's beautiful creation, the diversity of nature, the diversity of mankind, and gave them a global perspective of life. Carlisle was a wonderful husband, sensitive and compassionate, an exemplary father, a doting grandfather, he absolutely adored Jessica, his granddaughter, though there were times when he thought there wasn't enough cloth in some of her skirts, her shoes were too high, but she was still his darling. She is satisfied, according to her, that, he, that she enlightened him and modernized him in some of the areas in which he was deficient. To Carolyn, his daughter-in-law, he was a father figure, her advisor and confidant, always concerned about her welfare, always there for her. To the rest of us who knew him, he was friend and confidant. Carlisle was addicted to politics, and he and I crossed swords many times. Here we go. Alice is nervous. Jeanette, my wife, is shouting, stop, stop, but the swords kept on piercing. One time he yelled, Jerome, you know where the door is, eh? Yes, I do. I came through it. A little smile changed his countenance, and we knew everything was A-OK. -okay. He campaigned for his beloved party all his adult life. He was passionate about his politics and invested much time, energy, talent, and hard work in his efforts to win. He was one of the finest and best warriors that ever worked our political trenches and did so until, unfortunately, he was stricken with a stroke during the 2000 election. Carlisle talked. Whether it was grilling during camping trips on long weekends, when he awakened in his sons an interest in and a love for the outdoors. A grilling for the family at home. He kept on cooking, experimenting, and improving until he became a master griller, a master chef, able to prepare the most scrumptious meals for the most delicate of palates. Cooking was his passion, his therapy, and every time I light up my grill, I think of Carlisle, for we are all teachers. We will never forget our New Year's celebrations. Men in tuxedos, the ladies made up, fresh hairdos, 
gowns elegant and exquisite, jewelry sparkling, eyes twinkling. Everybody looking so pretty, even me. And a menu fit for a king. Most of it, of course, prepared by our inimitable chef, Mr. C, ably assisted by others. We were so much younger then. We're that much older now. Sunday afternoon, February 27th, Carlisle called me to his bedside and said, Jerome, I would like for you to read my, for you to do my eulogy. Don't cry. I am going to heaven to be with my Lord and Savior. That seed of faith planted almost 70 years ago was ready to be harvested. One week later, Sunday, March 3rd, at 11 p.m., Carlisle's life on this earth went full circle, and no more the lion roars. This afternoon, we are gathered together here collectively to say, God, to say goodbye to Carlisle, Mr. C, Sir George. And though he took wings and flew away, and though we go down to the grave with him, he returns with us because in the dawn of our meeting, he broke open the gates to our hearts and minds and entered to stay. May he rest in peace. Thank you, sir. That was well done. Sister B. Fowler comes next to minister in song.
with mystery. The morn was cold and chilled as the shadow of the cross arose upon the lonely hill. As the shadow of a cross arose upon the lonely Jerusalem, Jerusalem, hark how the angels sing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to
you, Sister Fowler, for glorifying Jesus in his eternal home with us in that lovely song. And may God give each one of us faith eyes to see the unseen, because the unseen is eternal, and the seen is only temporary. So we're going to hear some tributes from Kevin and Carolyn and Jessica Cartwright at this time. Good afternoon, friends and family. As many of you know, Dad had a blockage which revealed a tumor in his colon. This was surgically removed, and he was home from the hospital six days later. Unfortunately, it was discovered that the cancer had already spread, affecting his liver, lungs, and eventually his throat. Because his body could not withstand it, chemo was not an option. We were fortunate to hire amazing help and set up a home hospice with a medical bed and a TV room, which enabled him to remain a vital part of the goings-on of the household. Access to his computer, music, TV, and of course the news. Many of you know Dad's, uh, one of Dad's true passions was politics, at home and globally. He believed his party would do the right thing for his beloved country, and thus canvassed Delaport constituency since before Sir Kendall Isaac's time, until the now seated Most Honorable Prime Minister of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, in the same constituency now called Kalani. Prime Minister Minnis visited his bedside four hours after he was admitted into hospital, which raised his spirits tremendously. I was mesmerized listening to the two of them um, talk. The love of his life stood by him through thick and thin, the loss of their second-born son, Cookie, Dad's stroke, bypass surgery, and this final blow. Throughout, her resolve and devotion to him was unshaken. We had so many fun times. I think my path in tourism is because of the exposure realized on the many great trips he took us on, both home and abroad, cruise ships, boats, flights. He had a passion for traveling. Once a bareboat charter for a month we took on the River Thames up the Norfolk Roads. And then an RV he rented for a month when we did the Rocky Mountains in Canada. There were so many of these trips, which he meticulously planned, and so many fond memories. He made sure I went to Sunday school and church. There was no duck in that, Jack. Not with him. And of course, Cubs and Scouts. I remember sometimes he'd be late picking me up from Epworth Hall. We'd be playing in Ebenezer Graveyard after Cubs. Then it would dawn on me I was the last one left, which was terrifying. I was so glad to see him, but I never told him how scared I was. I never knew if he flat out forgot me or was just running late or trying to toughen me up or just making sure I'd be comfortable visiting him from time to time in Ebenezer. Sea Scouts dialed me in for the many camping trips every Easter. Make no mistake, Dad invented glamping. 
This wasn't just camping, this was camping in style. There were about eight families with kids, and there were even visitors that came and spent the day with us. These were amazing trips. As Junie mentioned, Dad was a grill master, an accomplished chef, and passionate about it. All my friends know about his famous Mr. C's barbecue sauce, which I've secured in the family vault. In January of this year, on my last birthday, he gave me a tangine, which is an amazing Moroccan-style cooking pot. He was still, a month before he died, trying to pass on his culinary skills to me. Overall, his favorite time of the year was Christmas, and he went all out, right up to Christmas 2018. When we were kids, it was off to the Pine Barrens to cut a native tree. He'd bring eggnog, fruitcake, and sandwiches. But he also had a regular tree now, two trees. That's <laughs> how so serious he was about Christmas. Family and friends always shared special times in our household, and Christmas was no different. Some years, there were 40-plus people. Dad always made sure the table was dressed to the nines, and there was way too much grocery. But he was most serious about the message, prayers, and Christmas carols. His prayer for the family this past Christmas was, was nothing shy of remarkable. He used to be jonesing for the temperature to drop into the 60s. Then he had an excuse to light his fireplace. Don't let it be Christmas and chilly outside. He was in his glory then. <laughs> we differed when it came to the business of Trump. He would ban uh, we would banter and have some laughs. He'd always say, when the Republicans are in office, the Bahamas economy thrives. And if the U.S. sneezes, the Bahamas catches the cold. <clears throat> Who could argue with that logic? I would simply back down and yield to his wisdom. I'm going to miss those political spats. The cook-ups, the many phone calls with me living on the island, he'll keep me abreast of the local news, sports, and politics. His beloved Miami Dolphins, Nadal on the tennis court, and of course, golf. I'd call and say, hey, Pops, how you doing today? His reply was always, as you see me, my son, followed by a laugh, except a few days before he passed. I said, Pops, how you doing? I'm not doing well today, son. It's time for me to be with my Lord. He'll say, okay, don't be sad. This is no way for me to live, and I'm ready to go. I'll never be far from you. Stay close to the Lord and look after your mom. He was very much a forward thinker. Mom and I went to the lawyer this week with a death certificate, and the lawyer said, thanks. But the way Dad had it set up, there's nothing for you to do. Everything is taken care of. Similar to the way he planned his own funeral, with the chapel and the funeral home. <clears throat> his mind was sharp right to the end. He was a remarkable man. If you know him, a great friend, husband, grandfather, and father.
Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> Pops. I come from a rather quiet, conservative family. So when I started dating Kevin and was introduced to his mom and dad, it was somewhat of a shock. Pops was very loud, very opinionated, and he dominated pretty much any room that he was in. I would attend family dinners, and he would say, when I put the food on my plate, that's not enough food, in this booming voice. And I would say, no, that's more than enough. And he would say, no, 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 have some more, and proceed to pile more food on my plate. Really took getting used to. As I got to know the family, and they heard who my family was, it was surprising to realize that they really already knew my family. My mom had taught Kevin at school as a little boy, and Papa Sammy, I'm sure you all remember him, had cut my grandfather's hair. My grandmother had made dresses for Grandma Maud, Sammy's wife. So it turned out our families were connected way before Kevin and I ever met. My dad and Pops, Pops became great friends, which wasn't necessarily a good thing, as invariably their get-togethers involved a cocktail. A few years later, Kevin and I got married, and about a year after that, Kevin was in a bad car accident that had laid him up, literally bedridden. I was struggling, looking after Kevin, and juggling everything. And in his usual fashion, Pops came to the house to tell me how to look after Kevin and that I was doing it all wrong. It turns out, <laughs> I'm as pretty much bullheaded as Pops was because I basically said, okay, if you think I'm doing it wrong, you can take Kevin home with you. So Pops stormed out. He said, I will never darken this door again. And I felt pretty bad, but I said, okay, fine. Well, true to Pop's nature again, first thing in the morning, he was back. Never said anything about our spat the day before, but he said, I'm just here to check you are okay. So a few years later, we ended up working together looking after Marine Diesel, Kevin's business, as he was traveling a lot. And we became very close. During that time, my dad passed away far too soon, and Pops became a true father figure to me. I suddenly had the great responsibility of my father's business and my mom, and he would always call me and check on me. He'd say, how are you doing, my darling? And I would vent to him. Sometimes he'd have great advice, and sometimes he'd just say, here, call so-and-so. They'll help you out. He had great resources and contacts that were invaluable. I will always be grateful for that. When I had our daughter, Jess, Kevin was still traveling quite a bit, building his career. So we were on our own, not that often, but quite a bit. And pretty much every other day, I would get that familiar phone call. Hello, my darling, are you okay? How's Jess? I'd still vent to him if I had to, or I'd say, no, we're good. And he would always say, just making sure you're both okay, and call me if you need me. 
That was Pops and how I will always remember him, making sure Jess and I were okay. More recently, when Pops was diagnosed with cancer, he'd asked that I come to the doctor with Kevin and Nana. I felt really privileged to be asked and then realized that Pops truly had loved me as a daughter. It was difficult to watch him deteriorate as he was such a larger-than-life person who became so debilitated. He still had that sharp mind with a mind-blowing memory, and he could still give you a good argument. He was current with world affairs to the end. His will was still so determined to contribute to the world around him, no matter how weak he got. So, Pops, here you go. This is how I knew you, as you asked me. I will never forget how you cared for me, and don't worry, we'll look after Nana. For those of you who may not recognize me because you didn't see me since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I'm Pop's granddaughter. We had an interesting relationship. We were opposites in many ways. When I was little, he was the only person that could get me to learn my times tables. (laughs) And I told him, I don't don't know why you have me coming up here to talk because I'm not good at this and my hands are shaking as an artist I felt like Pops and I didn't have much ground to stand on but he was there asking me questions about all the things I was doing in school and he and I butted heads a lot about our beliefs because I'm very liberal, I usually have purple hair and despite the fact that he preferred me natural all the time he said all right purple's a good color on you that's okay but don't forget we went on a family cruise and pops told me we're gonna have pictures taken that blue better not be in your hair at the time of the cruise he and i had a lot of debates about everything and nana would get so nervous over a bottle of wine, we'd start talking about politics and nah, don't don't talk, don't no no don't do that. And Pops and I would be there arguing our heads off, but it was always okay in the end. I think I enlightened him a little bit, maybe, possibly not, but it's okay. I definitely got my stubborn streaks from him. I mean, even after the stroke, nobody could tell him he couldn't do anything. He modified his car, he modified everything to fit his way of life. You know, I'm glad I got that from him. I'm glad I got my stubbornness, my determined nature, my argumentative shrieks. I wouldn't give that up for anything in the world. That and my love of food and wine. Hi. Thank you for all of the sharing and giving us a snapshot of this uh, great man. Please stand together uh, with me as we sing of our amazing love, of the amazing love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And can it be?
Thank you. You may be seated. Coming now with God's message for this time is Senior Pastor Emeritus of Calvary Bible Church, Alan Lee. Isn't that a fantastic picture? That's how we remember him. Amen? Just like that. My son, Timmy, is here. Timmy, I want you to know I just told Jerome he cannot die before I do. Because he has to give my, as I knew him. Wasn't that great? Thank you, Jerome. Fantastic. Good afternoon. Oh, one word to my pastor. He's given me a time limit. Please do not count the time that I cry. <laughs> That's why they didn't want me to do the message. I wonder if I was going to go through it. But thank you for coming to celebrate the life of one of my longest and most beloved friends. Carlisle Winston Cartwright. Now I'm going to do something that's a little different for me. Although I will give a brief biblical message. I'm going to use most of my time in giving you what I would normally call, as I knew him, tribute. Because for me, this is a special and honored occasion. It marks one of those milestones in my Christian experience in which my rear view mirror is becoming more distant, which at the same time is giving me a clearer and up-close view of what lies ahead for me. So please pardon my exchanging my preaching time for a personal, heartfelt, emotional response this particular homegoing service today. I met Carlisle when I was only four or five weeks old in the Lord. Four or five weeks old in the Lord. I was justified by faith in Christ in Dedmanski, Long Island. Rex Major suggested that I visit Central Gospel Chapel when I returned to Nassau. I did so and was introduced to Carlisle along with other vibrant Christian young people at the time, such as David Cartwright, Theophilus Major, Doreen Major, no relationship, Dodge Simonet. We could go on and on. I see Dr. David Allen here too. He was not a part of this particular group, but he also was involved in the youth group at a later time. Central Gospel Chapel had it actually was called Central Gospel Hall at the time, had a tremendously active youth ministry led by Paul Bethel, who eventually became an outstanding lawyer here in Nassau. He was the brother of Clement Bethel, who became an outstanding musician in the Bahamas, as you all know. He was a pianist at the time. The youth were on fire for the Lord, Carlisle and I became close friends almost right away. We were actively involved together in all of the activities involving young people. We conducted evangelistic street meetings over the island. Anywhere we could find an open lot, Hawkins Hill, 
part to any corner, even in a graveyard in Chippingham, in the corner of Nassau Street. Hawkins Hill, Hilltop, though, was our favorite place. In fact, that's where I gave my first evangelistic message. My text was John 3.16. It lasted for about five minutes. Many people wish that continued, that I would preach that same kind of short time, but that's not true anymore. It lasted about five minutes, and I repeated the same thing over and over. That's all I was doing, just repeating the same thing over and over. But I can still hear my voice ringing out from the top of the hill all the way down to Shirley Street. Everyone in between could hear the message. Carlisle Cartwright was leading the singing. We really did not know the fruit of that ministry until some 20 or 25 years later. I was now in seminary. And I was invited to speak at a conference at the Carmichael Bible Church. As I was leaving the church, I heard a man calling to me at the door. He said, Brother Lee, I've been trying to contact you for years. I said, oh, why? He replied, do you remember preaching on Bar 20 Corner over 20 years ago? I said, yes, I do. He said, yeah, well, one afternoon I was passing by and you were preaching. I was half drunk, but I didn't stop. But I listened from my porch not too far away, and I gave my heart to Christ that night. Wow! Twenty years later, God affirmed that his word would not return unto him void. Carlisle Cartwright was leading the singing that afternoon. He was a part of the fruit as well. Carlisle and I got even closer when he started to build a relationship with a beautiful young lady named Alice. And I started to do the same, but her just as beautiful, perhaps a little more so. I've got to be careful what I say here. Her cousin, Nancy Renentia Idella Wells at the time. Not Wells. Was it Wells? Yes, Wells. <laughs> now, he later married Alice, and I married Nancy. As we say, the rest is history. But we were close. Alice and Nancy even lived together for many years in a small apartment on Shirley Street. We were close. But there was really something amazing about Carlisle and singing, especially leading singing. Carlisle eventually became the director of our choir at the Gospel Chapel. And if you saw Carlisle leading the choir, you would think he was trained at Carnegie Hall. Smooth, flowing, just tremendous. But the thing is, Carlisle couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> but he could lead the choir as though he was trained for years. He served the Lord faithfully and beautifully by leading the choir, just by instinct. Carlisle and I even were partners in business for a short while. Many people don't realize this. I wanted a way to support myself in the ministry. So after much prayer, I decided to begin a carpet cleaning franchise called Dure Clean. But I needed 500 pounds to purchase the franchise, and I had no money. A pound at that time was worth, anybody remember? $2.80. Remember that? Two eighty to the pound. So I asked Carlisle's dad who is one of my early mentors the, the, as a Christian, to sign a note at the bank for me. And foolishly, he did so. 
I felt an obligation to ask Carlyle to be my partner. Carlyle accepted. Now, simply because of interests and circumstances, I placed more time and effort in learning the business of carpet cleaning. And I became pretty efficient and was known as the best stain remover and carpet repairman on the island. You know how that reputation came about? One evening, I was attending a party at a very affluent person who had just purchased one of the most expensive carpets you could. It was an English wool carpet, and it was white, and he installed it in his living room. Foolishly, I thought, but he did. And then he had a party that night to celebrate the carpet. A white carpet. They were serving red wine. And guess, you guessed it, some guests dropped the glass of red wine on the carpet. You could see the dismay on everybody's face. They said, call Alan. I said, all right, give me a roll of tissue paper and a bottle of clear water from the tap. That's all I want. I got on my knees. I absorbed and I diluted. I absorbed and I diluted. Not rub. Don't, don't rub. Just dilute. I absorbed with the towel, and I diluted with the water. Five minutes, you couldn't see anything on that carpet at all. It was completely gone with just clear water and tissue. Now, if I had rubbed it, it would have stayed in. But by diluting it and absorbing it, it came right up before it could actually get into the carpet. That's why I got my reputation. Well, I say all that to say this. One time, now remember, Carl Allen and I are partners. A very rich and affluent lady called us to look at a very expensive rug. This was a tremendously expensive rug. She had discovered a stain that no one could remove. So she called me. I looked at it and knew right away that that kind of stain was impossible to remove without leaving a hole, because the kind of chemicals that was needed to remove that stain would also remove the carpet the stain was on. In other words, it would disintegrate the spot where the chemical was placed. So I told Cartwright I would not accept the job. He disagreed. You're talking about stubborn? This is one time we really were at loggerheads. I mean, we were fighting. I say, no, Carlisle. He say, yes, Alan. I say, no, Carlisle. He say, yes. I say, oh, he says, listen, I have just as right enough, I just have just as much right as you to make a decision. We 50-50. I say, okay, you take your 50, I can leave my 50 over here. You could do it, but I will not touch it. Carlisle got a disdain. And you know what happened? The carpet fell in the hole. Boom. Carlisle came and said, Alan, you got to help me. I said, not me. You took your 50%. That's what I was over there. He said, come on, Alan. I felt sorry for him. So I would say, I worked all night on that carpet. All night. Through the night on that carpet. And when it was finished, you couldn't find that stain anywhere if you looked at it from the top. But if you turned it over, all you saw were all kinds of tape and all kinds of stuff in the back. So I said, okay, Carlisle, you deliver the rug. I said, but be careful how you roll it out. Carlisle said, okay. So he delivered it. 
And we heard nothing from the woman at all. Not a thing. So he really did a job at rolling that carpet out. All right? But unfortunately, that also was the end of our partnership. Short-lived, but it was a good one. So today, in a very real sense, a very close, intimate, meaningful part of my Christian life has come to a close. An era has ended for me. The end of an era. But the memory of this time, because of Carlisle, Vincent Cartwright, will never be forgotten. I will cherish every remembrance of him. Carlisle, Vincent Cartwright. But you know what? He's probably leading singing right now and giving Peter a big headache is how you could do it well. <laughs> Keep on leading Carlisle. Now, a brief word from the word. I want to end where I began and where Carlisle began his spiritual life at John 3.16. John 3.16 is known as the most loved and most memorized verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Some have said that this is the greatest text in the Bible. I agree. It tells us that God is the greatest giver and the greatest lover. He gave. He gave the greatest gift, his only begotten Son. He gave him to the greatest number of people, whosoever. He, this makes him the greatest condition. He also made the greatest condition to receive him, believe in him. He promises the greatest deliverance possible. You should not perish. He gives the greatest benefit possible. We have eternal or everlasting life. But you know the amazing thing is this. Many people still do not truly understand the greatness of this great gift given by this great gift of God. We still do not understand who this indescribable gift is. Just let me read you a passage from John 4 very quickly. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And he, that's Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. Now please, let this be a sealer moment for you when you think about what you read. Notice it says, must needs Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Now in Bible study, we will call this the must of necessity or the must of decree, meaning that this was an activity that was specifically ordained of God. It was planned long before it happened. It had to happen. God planned it that way. Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Now, it's important to notice that geographically speaking, this is not true. In other words, one did not have to go through Samaria in order to get where he wanted to go uh, in Judea. Although it was a shorter distance for Jesus to go from Judea to Galilee, it was not a physical necessity for him to do so. In fact, the Jewish people who had nothing to do with the Samaritans actually took the long way around in order not to go to Samaria. But for Jesus, it was a divine necessity. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria when he did not have to? 
Let's go back to the text. It says, Then cometh Jesus to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, a sign of his humanity, sat on the wall, sat on the well. It was about the sixth hour, noon. Then cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Now, this was a very radical action by Jesus for a Jewish rabbi. To speak to a Samaritan woman was unheard of. This is worse, and Carlisle would like this one, this is worse than a PLP going to the UB for advice as how to run the government. That's how bad this was. The woman knew that, so notice what she says. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. That's putting it mildly. Jesus answered and said unto her, Notice carefully now, If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that said to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of me, and I would have given you living water. Jesus had to go to meet this woman at the well at this time, to tell her about the greatest gift that God had ever given to the world. Jesus Christ had to tell this woman what God's gift to the world was. Look at the phrase again. If only you knew the gift of God. Do you know the gift of God? Really know the gift of God? When I preached this first message in Hawkinson, I really did not know much as much as I do now about the gift of God. And I don't think Carlyle did when he accepted Christ. Who is this gift? Well, this let me put it very quickly. Jesus is the greatest of the great. Remember that little fable we tell about mirror, mirror on the wall? But think for a moment now. The Bible is the word of God. So I ask, mirror, mirror of the word. Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, who is the greatest of them all? The bones of all but Jesus can be found in the grave in which they were buried. The followers of all but Jesus boast of what they taught to make life better. Jesus' followers alone boast of what he did to give them a new life altogether. So I ask you, mirror, mirror of the word, who is the greatest of them all? It's Jesus Christ the greatest of them all. Charles J. Rolls puts it this way in a poem called The Indescribable Christ. The fountain of his fullness never fails. The reservoir of his resource never recedes. The wisdom of his word never wanes. The vigor of his virtue never varies. The burnish of his beauty never blemishes. The lust of his love never lessens. And the prowess of his power never perishes. That's Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's Carlisle's Jesus, God's gift to the world. So I ask you, do you know him the way Carlisle did, the way I do? Jesus is divine. He is totally unholy God, while still being totally unholy man. He is very God clothed in human flesh. The manger birth 
was the entrance of his eternal divine being into the limitations of time. He was the exact image of God. In him dwelled the completeness of the Godhead in the body of a human being. He is God's only unique son, no one else like him. There has not been or ever will be anyone else just like him. He is infinite. He is infinite in his wisdom. He is greater than Solomon. His name is Wonderful Counselor. He is infinite in his essence. He is the mighty God. He is infinite in his existence. He is the everlasting Father, the Father of the ages. He is infinite in compassion. He is the Prince of Peace. He is infinite in character. He alone is worthy to be called Wonderful. Jesus, my Jesus, Kala's Jesus, God's great gift to the world is infinite in his person because he is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And because he bears these infinite names, he is indescribable. Or as one version says, he is unspeakable. Unspeakable. And God sent this gift from heaven with love for you and for me. Carlisle Winston Cartwright received that gift to his life in his heart and that's why he's in glory now. He is God's greatest gift to the world. Do you know him? Really know him? Viscount Rutherford, he was the discoverer of the atom. In one of his lectures he said, the terms we utilize when describing small things such as little, tiny, and might are far too big in their suggestiveness for expressing the nature of the atom. Charles J. Rolls, quoting Rutherford, says this, and I quote, It is even more true that the word colossal, massive, or gigantic are far too small in their descriptiveness to convey an adequate estimate of the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. My friends, to his name there is no norm. To his fame there is no finality. To his claim there is no confine. To his love there is no limit. To his honor there is no horizon. To his beauty there is no boundary. To his truth there is no terminus. To his mercy there is no measure. That's the gift. That's the gift that Carlisle Cartwright knew and received as Savior. Once again, Charles Rolls puts it this way, Christ, the gift of God, outstrips all estimates. Artists cannot depict him. Orators cannot describe him. Culture cannot appraise him. Bankers cannot value him. Earth cannot equal him. Heaven cannot match him. And angels cannot compare with him. No scale can weigh his worth. No tables can measure his value, and no standards of calculation can append a cost to so priceless a gift. That's God's gift to us, to you. That's God's gift that Carlisle Winston Cartwright accepted and why he became a child of God. And so, in memory of my friend and brother in Christ, Carlisle Winston Cartwright, as we began together, I remind you now, as we come to an end of our earthly sojourn, of the gift we spoke about together for many years, and the gift 
that he accepted that changed his life. Jesus is the greatest of the greatest and the most valuable of the valuable. And so I say today, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. So I ask you, on behalf of Jesus as well on behalf of Christ, do you know, really know, the gift of God? Have you unwrapped that gift in your own heart by receiving him as your Savior? How much do you value him? What are you going to do with him this afternoon? Will you trust him as your Savior? Or will you once again reject him as a useless and invaluable one to you? If you are a believer already, I ask you, will you go on making yourself Lord of your life? Or will you surrender to the true Lord of lords and King of kings, the greatest of the greatest, God's gift to the world, Jesus Christ? Do you know the gift of God? If not, why not receive him right now? And always remember that you did so and you celebrated the glorious homegoing of my friend, Winston, Carlisle Winston Cartwright, who accepted the greatest gift from the greatest giver that anyone can know. Sila, think and act on these things. What a gift is Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Lee, for reminding us of that great gift that Jesus is. And he is the bread that came down from heaven. Please stand now as we sing about that in the next hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.
servicio. We are now going to enter into a time of committal. Pastor Lee will lead us, and you may remain seated. I read a passage from 1 Corinthians 15, the same chapter that was read earlier by the family. Someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat of whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body it wants to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish, and so on. We believe that Carlisle, Vincent Cartwright, will be raised again. We believe that when he is raised, he will be given a wonderfully new body. And you will see Carlisle in a way that you have never seen him before, if you know the Savior that he knows. You ask, how can we be sure of that? Well, some time ago, as was mentioned, Carlisle heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He heard that God so loved him, that he gave his son to become the sin bearer for him. He took the penalty for our sin upon himself. Carlisle believed that, and the scripture tells us that because Carlisle believed that Jesus died for him, shed his blood for him, his sins were washed away. Remember I gave you that story about the carpet and the red wine on that white carpet? and the stain was removed as though it was never there? Well, God does even a better job with our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleanses us from sin, and although they were as red, scarlet, became white as wool. And so as I take this red rose and place it on the casket that contains the remains of my dear friend, Carlisle Cartwright, I do so with assurance that Carlisle's sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ because he placed faith in Jesus Christ. But something else happened all at the same time. There's a transaction that took place. God did not only wash away Carlisle's sin because of his faith in Christ. He clothed him with his own righteousness at the same time. The righteousness that we need to stand uncondemned before God was placed on Carlisle Cartwright. He was given the white robe to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so he stands uncondemned before a holy God. And so as I take this white rose and place it on the casket that contains 
remains of my friend Carl Alcardwright, I do so with the assurance that because he was cleansed by the blood of Christ, because of his faith in Christ, he was robed with the righteousness of God himself. Carlisle Cartwright became a new man in Christ. Carlisle believed that there was the coming a day when he would be raised and that he would be placed in the same living quarters of Jesus Christ himself. In other words, Carlisle believed the word of God. Carlisle knew that God was a God who cannot lie. If God told him that through faith he would be cleansed of his sin by the blood of Christ, Carlisle believed it. If God said that he would be clothed in the righteousness of God, which is needed to stand uncondemned before God, Carlisle believed it. And so this blue rose now, which speaks of truth, I place on the casket that contains the remains of my friend Carlisle, Winston Cartwright, with assurance that because of his strong faith in God, he became a new man by placing faith in Jesus Christ, cleansed by his blood, robed in righteousness, and trusting his word. Carlyle became a new man, awaiting a new body. And he is, because he believes the word, believes that because he is a new man who will receive a new body, that new man in that new body will be placed in a place called the New Jerusalem that B sang so beautifully about. Carlisle would walk on the streets of gold. So as I take this yellow rose and put on the cassette that contains the remains of my friend Carlisle Cartwright, I do so with the assurance that because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, he was cleansed by his blood, he was robed with the righteousness, and he became a new man, and soon he will receive a new body. And that new man in a new body will be placed in a new Jerusalem where God, the triune God, dwells with his people forevermore. Carlisle will walk the streets of gold because he placed his faith in Christ. When you see him again, yes, that picture looks so beautiful of Carlisle. He will even look better than that, if it's possible. He will look better than that. Carlisle will be in a glorious body, transformed by the power of God himself. And anyone here today, family or friend, if you place your faith in Carlisle's Savior, you too can have that promise. And you too will see Carlisle Cartwright again. My prayer is that you will trust Carlisle's Savior and receive that wonderful gift that he received so he became a new man awaiting a new body to be placed in the new Jerusalem. Pastor Rob, please close in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you Dan, today for so wonderful a Savior and so great a salvation. We thank you for the believer in Christ like Carlisle, <coughs> that absence from the body is immediate presence with his Lord and Savior. Lord, teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. And now as we move toward the cemetery, grant grace to the family and every portion of strength they have need of. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. <laughs> 
We stand now for the recessional hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. <laughs> 